Welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please welcome your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show, the only internet radio show dedicated to giving you real solutions to improve your health. Not only are they real solutions, but they're natural solutions as well. Because as you know, the one and only true wealth you have is your health. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc, and I'm committed to helping you find the root cause of your health problem, fix the cause with natural treatments, so you can feel normal again and live your life to the fullest. Just a quick bit of housekeeping before I introduce today's special guest. I'm happy to announce that I'm now working on my next book. The title is Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again for Men. I've discovered 14 root causes of fatigue. I like to call them the fatigue factors. And in this book, I'll explain eight of the 14 and how they specifically relate to men. And of course, I'll include my own personal fatigue story, along with four or five other stories from real fatigue cases from my private practice. This book should be ready later this year, so keep an eye out for it. That's it for our housekeeping, so let's get started. I'm very excited about this week's show because my special guest is Dr. Stephen Wangen. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Dr. Wangen is the co-founder and medical director of the IBS Treatment Center. He's a licensed and board certified physician, the award-winning author of two books, and he was also named one of Seattle's top doctors. Having suffered from IBS as a young man, Dr. Wangen has dedicated his life to solving this complex problem of IBS and promises to get you out of your bathroom and get you back to your life. Dr. Wangen, thank you so much for being my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Carey, for having me on your show. It's a pleasure. As I was doing some research for our interview today, I was on your website and I just love the tagline that you have, get out of the bathroom and get back to your life because it's just so true for so many people. They are just a slave to their bathroom. Right. I think a lot of people can relate to that and I've been there as well and can relate and and when we finally hit on that, I thought, well, maybe that'll speak to people because that's that's our goal is really just to, to... be able to meet people where they're at and listen to them because I know what it's like. You go to the doctor and a lot of times that's not what happens. They just say, well, okay, and they run some tests and and they say, well, basically you're fine. And you're like, that, what am I? that's crazy. I'm not fine, but that's kind of how you left, you, you left feeling crazy, basically. Exactly. So for our listeners out there, and I know in my private practice at Functional Medicine Ontario, I have a lot of patients coming in and they suffer with constipation or diarrhea or they've got both. They sometimes have bloating and gas, abdominal pain, lots of different chronic digestive symptoms. They come in and they tell me they have IBS, but then I actually ask them, have you formally been diagnosed as having IBS or do you just think you have IBS? And a lot of the times they're they're like, I just don't know. (laughs) So can you explain to our listeners, how does a doctor properly diagnose IBS? 
Sure, you, you know that's a good point because people come in and sometimes they they don't really know. But in fact, a lot of times the doctor doesn't really know either because it's just a diagnosis of excluding other problems, um, unfortunately. So, as the IBS treatment center, we certainly do diagnose IBS, and uh, but but I don't worry nearly as much about that as people might suspect because what happens is it's just this giant label that when you have a digestive problem, if it's constipation or it's diarrhea or it's gas or bloating or abdominal pain or in any combination, you know, you could have them all at the same time, you could have just one of them, and you've essentially ruled out other things. So the doctor has ruled out ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, they've ruled out appendicitis, they've ruled out gallstones, the kinds of things that people often hear about. And, and most people, fortunately, do not have those things. Uh, you know, maybe they go to the gastroenterologist and the gastroenterologist says, well, maybe let's scope you. And so they maybe get a colonoscopy and then they say, well, everything looks pretty good. Uh, and which those, those things aren't going to solve the problem anyway. Even if they looked in there and they found something, it wasn't going to cure you. It was just going to look and see what they might find if they found an ulceration. So you end up in the long run with this broad label where they say, well, we don't see anything else wrong. Maybe let's call it IBS, which means irritable bowel syndrome, which means what you already knew was that your bowel irritated you. And now we've attached the word syndrome to it. So, so you go home thinking, wow, okay, I've got a diagnosis. And then you realize, wait a minute, what do I really have? I have the same problem I started with and, and I'm probably no further along to a solution unless I see somebody who can really focus in and is an expert in this area, as opposed to somebody who's just ruling out other problems. So exactly as you said, the diagnosis of IBS is really just a label. It doesn't tell us anything about what the real cause is. So once a patient has a diagnosis um, in your center at the IBS uh, center, how do you go through testing to really find the root underlying causes? Well, of course, right, that's just the beginning. That's the starting point, not the ending point. It's, it's well, we have a problem here. This patient has a problem, and we have to believe them because they're the, you can't test, you can't test for IBS. There's no test for that. So you have to take them, take them at their word at face value, and they say, you know, I have this digestive problem, and everything seems to come out normal when doctors test me, but I know there's a problem because I've got these symptoms. And they say, okay, well, I'm 100% behind you. I believe you have the symptoms because I've had them. Uh, so what is it? That's the question, obviously. What is the real cause of this? And, and when you go online, like everybody does nowadays, and you look and you read, you can read hundreds of different things that are going to cause this, right? You can mm-hmm. say, oh my gosh, it must be that I eat junk food, or it must be coffee, or it must be gluten, or it must be about probiotics, or it must be bacterial overgrowth, or maybe it's candida and yeast, or, you know, and it's on and on. It's SIBO. It's small bacterial over, you know, it's just goes on forever you find a million different reasons why you have this and they all have the legitimacy behind them there are people who suffer from all of those different things and the trick is working with somebody who's going to help you narrow all that down and figure out what's relevant what are the pieces to your puzzle that need to be put together so that your IBS can be cured because if you don't do that, if you just look, you know, at, at try one thing and you say, well, it must be this or that, or you, you just broadly joins the latest diet fad or what have you, 
the chances of you hitting on the answer are incredibly small. But a few people do, and they get really excited, of course, and they go and they talk about it and write about it and, and put things online, and it worked for them, which is fantastic, but the challenge is what's going to work for each individual patient. And so we just have to start with the patient and their history and their story and what have they done already and what tests have they had run already and start to narrow all these things down and decide what we need to do next because there's just really, there are literally hundreds of causes. So it's not as if we can just do one thing or run one test and say, well, this is what's going to give us the answer. Uh, we have to be really methodical about going through a giant mental checklist of all these different conditions and starting to put the pieces together so that then we can address that patient and figure out what's wrong. And it's, I guess it's, it's like any specialty in medicine. You, you know, you don't expect to be able to get the answer, uh, just by reading about it, you know, online really about just meeting each patient where they're at and narrowing down this huge, huge complex picture so that you can get to the right answer or combination of answers for patients. Because a lot of people have more than one problem occurring at the same time. And that's important to figure out and to recognize because, of course, they may say they may be gluten intolerant, but they cut out gluten and they don't necessarily feel better. That doesn't mean they're not gluten intolerant. It just means that there's more to the to the puzzle, and we need to figure out what else we're missing. You know, it's always nice when there's like one reason why the problem is there, and then we fix it, and then life is great again for the patient. But the reality is, oftentimes it's a lot of little things that add up, and it can be really complex. And so that's where working with a professional really pays off because it is trying to figure out that puzzle and it's not easy for us either even though we've had all these years of experience and all these patients it's really a complex web so I know for you you've you have um, you know that there's several hundred causes of IBS but two two of the big ones if we can talk about them today are food allergies and sensitivities and then um, microbes like parasites and bacteria and whatnot Right, there's two two often broad broad categories uh, that we might call like you call the food food allergies and sensitivities, and then this microbial world, uh, and they're both really important and really key. And there's a lot of overlap between them as well, and a lot of often confusion I find because as people often chalk digestive problems up to what they might call leaky gut, and they'll try to to sell leaky gut as the cause, but really leaky gut's just another big fancy term. It's no more informative than IBS is. Mm-hmm. It, it just means that there's a problem and there's inflammation and there are lots and lots and lots of things that can cause that problem. And you can't just, there's not just a cure for leaky gut. Sometimes I, I get patients who think that, who think, well, we just need to cure my leaky gut. And I'm like, well, yeah, we just that's not any different than saying we need to cure your IBS. It's we need to figure out why you have this problem. Yeah, and, and w- even if you do have leaky mm-hmm. gut, what is causing your leaky gut? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And figure that out. And so you can be, for example, you can be sensitive to foods, but not because of the food. It could be because of the microbial world. And that the food that you may actually be able to, if we can solve the microbial world problem, then you might be able to get a certain food back in your diet. 
Whereas in other cases, it's really truly is the food's fault. It's it's the food. You cannot eat that food. That's because if you do, it's only going to cause problems. Uh, and that just varies from patient to patient. So it, there isn't one food that's like the the evil food out there. But you know, everybody wants to find that because that's more convenient uh, to say, well, this food's evil and these foods are not. You know, and that's always nice if you could do that. But in reality, it doesn't work that way because it depends on the individual and uh, and how their body and how their immune system responds to a certain food or or uh, how their microbial world response to the foods and so that's what we're trying to do is narrow those kinds of those that huge world of, of variables involved in those areas uh, down to figure out what's relevant for each patient so with foods you could have a food allergy you could have a food sensitivity you could have an intolerance you just might not be digesting it well um, and like you said it, it could be that the microbes the bacteria or yeast or whatnot in your gut are having a creating chaos with that food too exactly exactly there's all these combination of issues which is the advantage of having worked with thousands of IBS patients is that we we get a better sense of that you know over time and it's sometimes it's even hard to articulate it all but but it's one of those things that the more and more you see of course the the better you get at it which is true for any condition you know and any doctor you 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 it gets uh it's easier for you in some respects, and, and yet it's never super easy. It's not like you just automatically always know the answers. But but as you see these things, you get a better sense of what might be going on, and then you start to realize, oh, wait a minute, I should run this kind of test instead of that kind of test. Or there, Because there are lots of different stool tests, and there are lots of different food allergy and food sensitivity and food intolerance tests, but they all have their different strengths and weaknesses, and they're all telling you something different. So you can't just necessarily compare one to another and say, well, I've already had this done and therefore I already know the answer to this problem uh, because you don't necessarily. There, there are different reasons to run different tests and, and that's what makes it tricky and challenging and that's where uh, seeing a doctor comes in. I mean, you want to see somebody who understands these things because, uh, because that's, that's what every patient wants. When I'm a patient, I want to go to a doctor who knows what they're doing and knows what to run and what procedures to do and all that so that we can narrow things down and, and find out what the answer really is as opposed to going to somebody who says, well, this is the one-size-fits-all treatment that I give to all my patients and therefore you're going to get it too and you know, we'll cross our fingers and hope it works. Um, that's always unfortunate when that, when you, that approach is, is being delivered. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, and, and you probably do this in your practice, um, like I do it in my practice, a patient will come in, they'll have a list of foods that they'll say, every time I eat these foods, I feel terrible, my symptoms get worse, and I'll kind of look over the list of foods and I'll see, do these foods have anything in common? Like, are they all high FODMAPs foods, or are they all high in sulfur? You know, trying to really figure out, maybe it is not just a food sensitivity Maybe it is something bigger than that. That's right. That's one thing. You, yeah, you have to look for uh, when patients tell you these things, and that's important information. I always want to know how they feel and what they feel reactive to, and what their sense of things is, because you often get really good clues from patients. They they know enough. You know, they know more about their body than anybody else, and so it's really valuable to get as much information as I can from them. But I might be thinking about that information completely differently than they are. They might tell me that they react to 10 or 20 things, or they might tell me they react to everything. 
And I believe that they feel that way, but then my job is to sort out why do they feel that way? What is it that's going on? And there might be certain foods that are related in one sense, and I'll say, yeah, maybe that's the explanation for that group. But then there might be other foods that just don't fit any pattern. And I say, wait a minute, you might be reacting to that even just because of all the inflammation and irritation in your digestive tract. You're just simply reacting to some of these other foods, likely, because you can't digest them well. And once we get you healed up, it'll be a lot easier to figure that out because then we might figure that, oh, these other foods over here are just fine now that you can digest fine. And, and we don't have to worry about them, but we still have to worry about maybe the initial group. And yeah, there are a million different things like you mentioned, um, you know, and it can be anything. It can be additives and preservatives and sulfites and, you know, and there's all these other philosophies, there's FODMAPs and there's just all kinds of things. And it's so hard for a patient to, to separate all that and differentiate it and figure out what's real for them and what's not. So in your IBS treatment center, how do you help the patient, um, how do you help them get through that maze of food allergies and sensitivities? Do you, do you recommend, um, elimination diets? Do you recommend like actual, uh, blood testing? Well, there's value in lots and lots of different approaches. I mean, there, there's, I mean, you obviously can learn things from elimination diets. Uh, you can learn things from blood tests. You can learn things from, uh, you learn things from all kinds of tests, from stool tests. You, you're learning different, you're getting different information from each of them and trying to put it all together. And so it's, it's always interesting to me, you know, when you, you can't say, oh, this is the one test that's going to solve everybody's problem, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and then, or you get a test back and you say, this doesn't match what the patient's telling me. Yeah. And people often assume that the test is bad. Well, not necessarily. The test isn't necessarily bad or wrong. It's just that there's a different reason that the person is reacting to a food that you don't necessarily see positive. And that's assuming the lab work is, is accurate to begin with. So you've got all of these, these issues that you have to become an expert at because the test might be fantastic but not agree with the patient's experience of eating that food. Therefore, there's a different reason that they're experiencing that. But then there could be a test that they're running that's really not any good um, and not even reproducible. And, and so, you you know, if they're coming in with a test like that and they're saying, you know, I'm using this and I don't know, I'm not getting any real resolution of my symptoms. I mean, sometimes they'll bring in tests they'll just say, well, that, you know, I, that test doesn't help me anyway. It's unreliable. I can't count on that. So as a specialty clinic, like we are at the IBS Treatment Center, we have to spend a lot of time evaluating the labs themselves. So we will actually do quality control and quality assessment on the labs and send out split samples and see which labs are reproducible and which ones aren't and what's what's actually lab work that we can count on and rely on because because that's super important. And of course, it, it takes a lot of time and a lot of money to do that, but it's one of the things that allows us to be different and sets us apart because most practitioners don't have that that option and, and to do that, and uh, and it's surprising, you know, what it's surprising what you learn when you do that because it's fascinating the differences in the labs and the quality control in the labs, and it's not something that that we're even allowed to talk about because then it becomes a huge liability and all these other legal issues. But when you can do it in-house, it's amazing what you learn when you do those sorts of things. 
Absolutely. So um, can we talk a little bit about uh, the microbial aspect? Because right now that's a big, that's a really hot topic in the research arena about what is living in our gut, what should be there, what's not supposed to be there, how do we test it, how do we treat it? Oh, can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah it's a super <laughs> hot area, yeah. And it's, it's really hot in the research world, but there's still a big disconnect between what's going on in the research world and what's really happening in clinical practice. So you've got all this amazing stuff that's being done uh, by researchers when it comes to mapping the microbiome and, and learning about what's happening in, in that ecosystem in the gut, which is, of course, a fascinating area because it's it's got to be important. I mean, you, it's amazing to me how the medical system will ignore stuff when they don't understand it. So if the medical system doesn't understand something, they just blow it off. They're like, oh, there's bacteria in the gut, whatever, you know, for decades. Just, uh-huh. yeah, yeah uh-huh. who cares, you know, just... <laughs> Who cares? We don't care. It, 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 what, what good could that do anybody? Um, but obviously, it's there for a reason. I mean, of course, it's there for a reason because we, we had to evolve with these bacteria. So millions of years weren't just some random accident. This is the way things need to be, and our health is really tied intimately with these bacteria. So, of course, now we have some idea that that's the case, but the question is how do you assess all of that and how do you figure out what's really going on in there? And, the, and there are some tools, but even the tools that are being used are fairly rudimentary still. We don't, we don't still have the kind of tools that we'd like to have. So, so a lot of what we do when we're treating patients is not only using stool tests to try to assess that, but we have to use a lot of clinical experience and a lot of just clinical history with the patient to help us try to understand what's going on in that microbial world because the unfortunately we're still at early stages with with lab work and assessment tools to understand truly what's going on in the digestive tract um, and, and of course you hear about all kinds of things like fecal transplants and and these kinds of things which are fascinating but I don't think we really understand a whole lot about that other than if you have Clostridium difficile and you can't solve the problem, a fecal transplant might be able to help you solve that problem. Uh, or if you have another problem, maybe it, it can, but it's the, the use of that is so limited still, uh, legally as well, that we don't know a whole lot about it. Uh, but we're learning, you know, we're learning more every day and we're seeing more research come out every day, so it's exciting because there's an awful lot of important stuff going, down, going on down in that microbiome in your digestive tract. Uh, that we certainly focus on at the IBS Treatment Center and that everybody would like to know more and more about. Dr. Wanken, can you talk about what's new in the world of IBS or what do you see as coming up on the horizon for IBS treatment? Gosh, it's an interesting question. I I think that really is what's kind of new and coming up on the horizon is with regard to that, that microbiome in the digestive tract. Because most of the stuff really is is going back to the basics from my perspective. It's fundamental going back to, well, are there foods that a person should eat or not eat? Are there are there bacteria that should be there or shouldn't be there? And it's it I think in medicine there's this temptation to always come up with new technology and new procedures and you know everything that's new is better and fancier. But in reality, digestive health is old. You know, it's it's we we were born or should have been born to have innately have a wonderful digestive tract and if we don't then it's getting back it's trying to get back to that state 
uh, to figure out well, what changed that over the course of our life. Um, and so, yeah, the, there are probably some things out there that are going to come out, but really often they're more distracting than they are valuable because a lot of stuff comes out every day. I see some new product and some new service and some new thing, and mostly it's marketing, and it's not something that's probably going to help me a whole lot. Um, it's about getting back to the basics and really understanding what's that digestive tract supposed to be like? What did evolution do for us that, that we need to get out of the way of, basically? What obstacles do we need to remove to get back to that? Dr. Wangen, can you give us three actionable tips that our listeners can start doing today to help them if they, are, if they do happen to be suffering with IBS? I think the number one thing, the most important thing is, is if you've been told that there's no answer and that there's, you know, and you feel like there's no hope, then, then I want people to be able to realize that that's just completely wrong. That's, that's false. There is tons of hope. There is lots, lots of reason to believe that you can get better, but you probably haven't seen the right person yet. You have, you know, it's like anything you have to find people who can help you or it's just like if you have a car that's not running properly if your mechanic said well sorry you have you have sick car syndrome you know irritated car syndrome <laughs> doesn't want to run you know that's ridiculous oh. nobody would buy that they would say okay i've got to find somebody who can help me solve this problem and that that's number one is is realizing hang in there you know don't give up hang in there keep trying to find somebody keep working with somebody uh, or, or finding, you know, trying to find that person who can help you because you need it. You need to find those people. We all need a team. You know, we need a team of people who help us with whatever our issues are. We got to find those those people and uh, and let them help support us. And you know, if they're and if somebody's not helping you, then move on. You know, if it's not working out, then say, hey, thank you, but I need to find somebody else who can help me. Um, that's one of the biggest things. And then. And really, that kind of covers the whole picture because it's not just about. You can certainly try things, you know, and you'll see products, you know, this special probiotic and that probiotic and this diet and that diet, and it doesn't hurt usually to try most of that. But don't get too caught up in and think, you know, my gosh, I've got to do more and more of that or pile on another supplement, be taking a bag full of supplements and doing, you know, I see patients trying to do three different diets at the same time and going, oh my gosh, there's nothing left. It's just those are not the right things for you, and uh, and if they're not working, you know, within a month or two, they're probably not going to work anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, beyond that, and and it's time to say, wait a minute, uh, there's got to be a better answer, and I can move on from that. So I wish there was a nice, simple, you know, miracle cure I could just give everybody. <laughs> hey, just take this thing, and all your problems are going to be solved. But of course, it, in reality, it's not that simple. You know, if I if I would love to be able to just sell everybody that one thing, but um, but that's never going to happen. It's, it takes a personal touch and, and seeing seeing the person and really knowing that uh, there's hope, but we have to take some time to, to work it out and figure out how we can best help them. Absolutely. And I know for me, when I have a patient that comes in and they're like, well, I've been told that I'm just going to have to live with this for the rest of my life and nothing can be done. And I'm just it just breaks my heart because... Because they should have hope because there is an answer out there. It's just a matter of time. It's like that needle in the haystack, you know. You just have to keep keep at it, keep digging at it. And sometimes it is finding the right doctor to work with to try and work through the maze. But the answer really is out there. It's not in your head either. 
Probably not. No, it probably is not just, you know, once in a while that happens, but most people are led to believe that because in the medical system, when they can't find anything, usually they just say, well, it must be stress, must be anxiety. Uh, you know, it just go deal with it. And, and in reality, what I find is about 90% of the time or even more, it's really not that it's the stress and anxiety are being caused by the IBS. Uh-huh. And that when we can solve that, the rest of your life often comes together really nice. And then you go, hey, this is great. I can get back to the things I want to do. And, and I can hike and buy, and just do get a, you know get away from the bathroom, like we said. You know? Yeah, get out exactly. Of the bathroom and get back to your life, like our tagline says. And, and it's so exciting and fun to see that and to get you know postcards from people traveling now and, and doing all these wonderful things that they couldn't do because they were they were suffering and they thought there wasn't any hope. And... And so that's what we focus on, you know, is getting people, uh, getting their lives back. Because if they're not, if that's not happening, then we're missing something. So that's the goal. So Dr. Wangan, we're running low on time. How can our listeners find out more about you? What is your website? Do you have a Facebook page? All that stuff is on our website, ibstreatmentcenter.com. And there's loads of information on there. Uh, about what we do and about even if people want to come to see us we see people from all over the continent even all over the world uh, at ibstreatmentcenter.com and we have two clinics we have one in Seattle and one in Los Angeles and uh, we do get a lot of people who travel and come in to see us and so there's lots of information about that on our website and, and if people have questions or uh, or they want to know more, they can call us. Uh, they'll see that on our website or email us. And if you like Facebook or you like Twitter or you like to read blogs, you can link to all that right off of our website, ibstreatmentcenter.com. So for the listeners out there, if you happen to be driving in your car right now or out for a jog or if you're actually looking for a bathroom or you're in the bathroom, I will make sure that that website the link for that website is in the podcast notes so that you can easily find Dr. Stephen Wangen and his IBS treatment centers. Dr. Wangen, thank you so much for being my special guest today. This has just been an awesome interview. Hey, well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun for me, too. And if you ever want to talk again, just let me know. All right, that wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with Dr. Stephen Wangen. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And I'd like to invite you back next week for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Kiri Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Kerry Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Kerry is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Kerry is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please tell your friends about the Functional Medicine Radio Show, and we'll see you next week with more from Dr. Carey.